Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. I know for your loyal listeners out there, you're probably surprised to hear my voice as usually the intro is led by our good friend, Dan Galati. But since his Philadelphia Phillies are in the World Series, I'm going to take the lead today and hopefully for the next couple episodes And we are going to talk Phillies baseball, obviously, because they're in the World Series and they've had a great run up to this point. Um, We'll get to them in a second. I do want to say, I know for for the people that do download and listen to every episode, you're probably like, man, it's been a while since I've heard these two uh, scumbags. Um, Well, all things considered, we did record an episode on Monday. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> the audio came out terrible um, on my end. My Google Chrome wasn't updated, so you know, shout out to me for not for not trusting the updates and, and not going through it. And we had to pretty much can a whole episode that we were reviewing and previewing the World Series. So here you're getting take two. We're probably going to recycle a lot of the takes that we've already had, but all things considered, when when we look back at the the championship series that were obviously the Philadelphia Phillies came on top of the San Diego Padres um, in five games. Uh, Philadelphia was absolutely rocking. Bryce Harper was the best player on the planet, what he's been anointed to be since he was 16 years old. And it was a really good series and the Phillies are playing really good baseball. And then on the other end, the Houston Astros handled their business. That might be putting it lightly against the New York Yankees. And obviously there's a lot of problems in New York. That is going to be an off-season topic because we're going to talk all World Series today. We're going to talk about previewing. We're not going to look back at the championship series. We already did that, even though none of you have actually heard us do that. We don't need to waste our time recycling our takes. So, Dan, I will give you the floor. How does it feel? to be a Philadelphia Phillies fan on today's date with the World Series starting tomorrow? It's, I mean, it's awesome, right? It's super exciting. And anytime you're a fan of, of a sport and a team in a specific sport, right? To see them go on some type of run in the postseason. um, If you have a really good regular season in the postseason, that's what it's all about to get to this level. So it's super exciting. And we had talked on the unheard episode, uh, about how the fact that it's so unexpected is what's making it so much cooler. Uh, and, and it's just so much more fun, right? Cause they, they backed into the playoffs. They were the sixth seed and, and then to see them just catch fire and go on this run has been a blast. It's been the three weeks of just so much fun following them and seeing what they've done and kind of the vision of Dave Dombrowski coming to light here, uh, and, and how he built this roster, right? You have an offense that's just super loaded right now. They're healthy. Uh, Bryce is playing like the best player in baseball, which he certainly has the capability of being. Um, and they have two front-end guys uh, in Wheeler and Nola who are taking the ball and, and putting them in a position to win every time out. 
Um, Nola obviously had the one little hiccup in San Diego game two. And then, you know, they have like three back-end relievers that are pretty dang good. And, and when you get into the playoffs and you shrink it down, that's what, that's what can make you successful. Um, so that's awesome. And I'm just super excited because I think this – this World Series matchup, and I know for you know TV ratings perspective and the common fan, right, the Monday Night Football fan, as I like to call them, you know, the people who are just sport, right, and they're not maybe baseball fans. This World Series matchup probably doesn't move the needle too much. Um, you know, the only storyline that, that that people outside of it can probably hang on to is the team that everybody hates in the Astros and the sports city that everybody hates. Um, but from a baseball fan's pers- perspective, I think it's awesome. And it's a cool matchup of a team that backed in and got super hot and almost feels like they're playing with some sort of magical, you know, destiny powder or something, right? Where, like, they win 87 games, they get in, they sneak their way in, and they go on a run, they knock off, you know, a division winner in the Cardinals, a 101-win Braves team, and then they knock off a a Padres team that was rolling as well. So they kind of feel touched, right? And then on the other side, you just have kind of this, like, uh, unstoppable force, Right, the, the, a team that's seven and zero in the playoffs and hasn't really had to sweat. I mean, you go back to the Mariners series; there were two, you know, all pretty close games, all three of them. But it never really it feels like they haven't been challenged, they haven't been pushed. Right, and then the Yankees pretty much laid down for them. Um, they kind of just it was it's been the Astros brand the whole way. Whatever they've wanted to do, it's been their will. So to see these two teams, where it's, you have this one team that's just so loaded and so good in the Astros, and then you have this Phillies team that's on this run. To me, that's what you want to see when it comes to the World Series. And, you know, last year you could say the same a little bit. The Braves were that team that the Phillies are this year. But the, this Astros team, to me, is way better this year than they were last year. I don't know if you agree with that. But to me, this this version of the Astros is unbelievable. I mean, just to, we'll get into this a little bit deeper, but this Astros pitching staff on the year had a sub-three team ERA, which was second in baseball behind the Dodgers. But, like, that's unheard of, man. And have two teams doing it in the same year is even crazier. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no doubt. I, I think this team is is a deeper. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, and obviously, depth at this point. Like I said, I think when I looked at the the wild card series, and obviously we saw two division winners go down, and then another get tested. And I just felt like the Astros were almost bulletproof to that because you can sleepwalk into a series and your pitching puts you in a good position to win with how good their pitching is. So I definitely say from that perspective, I mean Christian Javier is. Oh my god! I mean, they were just they they were just sitting on him for for how long now? At and this he's point? The, he's like an afterthought for most people. When you look at this for this Astros people. team in the yeah. rotation, he's like an afterthought, and he's insane. It, it was. Two starts this year when he dominate when he basically no hit the Yankees in Yankee Stadium and then his game three start against the Yankees again that people really are like, hey maybe this guy's legit yeah well he's <laughs> always been legit like sorry um, so I would say they're they're definitely definitely better than last year um, from my perspective I I think from a Phillies perspective as well. You know, it'll be interesting to to see how the you talked about the ratings. And to be quite honest with you, I think the ratings are going to be great on this. And MLB's got to be super excited. The only way that this could get better would be in Phillies-Yanks, um, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. 
Um, but I think with the fan base as committed as the Phillies fans are, and then they probably are first, maybe second in the nation in those Monday night football fans that you talk about, the ones that just show up for the playoffs. You don't know how many people I saw on uh, Snapchat at the playoff games that I'm like, bro, right. how are you? Even, why are you even there? Like, why are you even there? You, right. you couldn't name you couldn't name who Bryson Stott was in, on August 15th if I put a gun to your head and said I'd shoot you if I uh, if you didn't get it right. So uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to be a very exciting series. I mean, if Bryce Harper can continue to do what he's he's done up to this point. I mean, he can carry them for for pretty long stretches of time. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I just, that's what's to me is what is going to make this so much fun because, again, like t- when I think about this from just like a breaking this down as a just thinking baseball wise, it's like so many things are going to have to go right for the Phillies to to win this series. They're going to definitely have to take one in Houston. You're going to have to continue to get Zach Wheeler to be dominant. You're going to need Bryce Harper to continue to kind of hit 400 and carry him. You're going to need probably one of the, like, if you can get anything out of Nick Castellanos, you know, since that game one of the DS, he really has been a little bit more quiet. He had a couple, uh, couple dub or a couple hits in game four, the RBI off the bag that hopped over Cronenworth's shoulder. But it's like all those things have to happen. And like, I feel like there's just so many different things that are going to have to happen for them to, uh, you know, get better or to win the series. I'm sorry to, to beat this Astros team. That's so loaded, but I wouldn't be surprised at this point because so many things have needed to happen for them to get to this point. They've needed Bryce Harper to be this exact version of Bryce Harper. They needed Zach Wheeler to put up arguably one of the best postseasons we've ever seen from a starting pitcher. Right. And I know everyone wants to just throw mad bum out there, but like what Zach Wheeler's doing, not many people have done, right. He's the lowest whip in postseason history as it stands right now. And so it's like, yeah. wait, those are all the things that need to happen for, for them to beat the Astros, and they're doing it right now. So if they can continue to do it, then they have a shot. And then on the other side of things, I mean, it's just ridiculous how deep they are, and every one they throw out there is so good. And, I mean, you look at the, the, the bullpens giving up three solo home runs in this playoffs, and that's it. That's it. Three solos. No other runs other than that. Um, and so it's just like – what gives and, and who's going to win. And I think this is going to be a long one because I really do. Cause just how good the Phillies are playing. And also I can't imagine the Astros going 11 and 0. that would be ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, it would be, it, but, but nothing surprises me with them. Right. Like nothing ever surprises me with anything they do. So would I be shocked if they did it? No. To be, to be frank with you, no, I wouldn't, because, like I said, they they are just the the in, like it, it's hard to to kind of fully describe what they are because so many people hate them for for obviously a multitude of reasons, but at the end of the day, like this is the closest thing the MLB will see to a dynasty. Um, everybody yeah. talked about the Cubs and everybody talks about the Dodgers. And I, I, I do think that the Dodgers are pretty close to what I would consider a dynasty. I know they only have one kind of half world series ring for some people that want to argue it, but 
at the end of the day, I mean, it's about winning consistently and win- winning at a high level. And there's nobody who does it better than the Astros right now, and especially when it matters most. I mean, getting to the, the ALCS this many times in a row or in, you know, since 2017. Row, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, to put into perspective what that is, like you, like I said, the Dodgers are more talented than anybody. They're one of the deepest and most well-run franchises in Major League history, probably arguably the most well-run franchise in Major League history. And it just shows how hard it is to get to a CS, right? Because you just run into a buzzsaw every once or twice. You play bad baseball for two, three games. The Astros have not done that for years. Years. I mean, we're not talking about, oh, they made it, they, you know, like even the Giants dynasty, quote unquote, was, you know, win, egg, win, egg, win, right? Like the Ashers are there every single year winning games when it matters most. Like it's almost to the point now where it's just like luck, but you know, when you're, when you're skilled at something, it seems lucky. And I think it's more of that. So if they went, I'm not saying that I think they're going to sweep, but if they went 11 and 0, like it would just be like, it's just Houston. Like I would just throw my hands up and be like, Oh, like, yeah, Houston did it. Like, I I don't know. Like what, what, what else am I supposed to say? Like, it's like to put into perspective what they're capable of, like nothing surprises me anymore. Like if they went and won 120 games in a season, I'd just be like, it's just Houston. That's all it is. It's just Houston. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people appreciate. I mean, they've been in the World Series is four out of the last six years now, right? They won it in seventeen. They lost to the Nats. They lost to the Braves. Now they're back again against the Phillies, um, which is really interesting that the three of the four times they've they've played an NL East NL East. Um, something about that division always cooks up a wild card team that goes on a run. Um, but I Weird. just it's incredible. Like to think about that. You think about how good the Braves are this year and how we sat here and talked about how the Braves are better than they were last year and they won the World Series and they lose in, in four in the DS. They can't even push it to five. They win one game in the playoffs this year. Because it's so hard. It is so hard to consistently play a hundred and sixty two game season, go on a long run in the postseason, and then turn it right back around. I mean, you think about it. This World Series is going to end in November, and we're reporting the spring training in February. After you should, yeah. like that is your whole year. That's draining. It's long. It's tough on guys' bodies, right? Bryce Harper, at this point, who knows when he's even going to make his debut in twenty three because he's probably going to have Tommy John surgery at some point. It's like, and you don't think about that. There's guys who are banged up right now on both these teams playing in the World Series that are going to, you know, have to turn it right back around and report for spring training in February. And the Astros every year consistently continue to make runs this deep. Like, that is insane. You know, when the Yankees were doing it in the 90s and 2000s, it was crazy. Now, the difference there is obviously the Astros have only had gotten the one World Series, and I think here soon they're going to win their second one. I would probably say it's going to be this year just because I, I think they are, you know, I think they're even better than they were in 17 when they beat the Dodgers. Like, this, to me, this is the best version of the Astros we've probably seen. You know, in, in previous years, even though they had Springer and they had Correa, there was always some injuries in the pitching staff and there were some banged up position players and you didn't know what you're getting. And this year, it's just like how they're built with, you know, it's a deep lineup that'll just wear out, you know, wear out opposing pitching staffs. And then they're just loaded when it comes to bullpen and starters. And they all do something a little bit different, um, which we talked about on Monday. But it's like, 
They're so good. And the fact that you're in the World Series four of the last six years is crazy. And it's not something that we see. It really isn't. I mean, it's insane. You think about the two years they didn't go to the World Series. One was the year after they won it against the Red Sox, a team that went on to win the World Series. And then in 20, when it was that weird fluky year. But you think about it, like yeah. 17, a full season, normal year. To me, it's almost like it's it's four out of the last five, if you don't count the, the shortened COVID year where things were, you know, wacky. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we could definitely go on for a very, very long time about – just what what they do, you know, that makes them so special. And and like you said, I, I agree. This is the best version of the Astros and maybe not in name value, maybe not right. in jersey sales, maybe right. not even in ticket sales because they do not have the Springers, the Correas, the, those types Garrett of guys. Cole. Garrett Cole. But what they have in value and what they have in depth sets them apart from any team that whether they have or you know arguably except the Dodgers whether anybody had right like we're we're talking about like these are the pinnacles of baseball in terms of just building a franchise that you know adds at the deadline but still replaces their stars you know develops their own home let's Garrett Cole walk and has you know Whatever guy you want to name, you know, Christian Javier, you know, uh, Framber Valdez, the list goes on and on, Jose or, or, or Kitty, all those guys, right, that can step in. And I'm not necessarily saying be Garrett Cole, but be pretty darn good and pretty darn valuable. And when you're talking about, you know, if you're running a business, if you're running a franchise, if you're running these things, Sometimes you almost have to view these these opportunities as return on investment, right? What is my return on investment for Christian Javier? Well, when your guy's getting paid five hundred seventy thousand and pitching two or three seven, that's a different perspective than you know us fans who can sit there. Well, this guy pitches two or three seven; he's nothing special. Yada yada yada. But when you can get a guy who starts and posts five days every five days you know, takes the ball and goes out there and competes and can give you a quality start, that 570000 that you're paying him in a year looks a heck of a lot different. And I think from that perspective to, to put in, that's where the value of the Astros really is where the rubber meets the road, right? Is when you can have guys on such cheap contracts and not cheap in a bad way, it's cheap because of the the process, right? It's cheap because of the rules. It's not like they're shortchanging these guys or they're taking anything away from them or they're not bringing money to the table. I'm sure if they had to pay them, they would, and they'd be very happy to still have them on their roster. But when you think about Again, return on investment for, for the caliber of players that these guys are, the Jeremy Peñas, the Kyle Tuckers, the Jordan Alvarez, the Christian Javier's, the Frommer Valdez, you know, we can keep going on and on compared to what Garrett Cole makes in a year. And Garrett Cole's great. And he's probably, probably, probably better than Christian Javier. I'll say probably one more time before I convince myself otherwise. 
but he's making a fraction of what Garrett Cole makes. And people that want to say, oh, you know, because the Phillies are the opposite end of that, you know, and I'm kind of going on a tangent about building a team and all the stuff like that. But the Phillies are like, you know, I heard Ian Happ talk about it, who's obviously a player rep. He's like, you know, it gives fan bases hope because they spent money and they did this and they did that. Well, what about the Astros that have just built this machine off of, you know, spending money when they have to? Yeah, I mean, I think that to me that's why the common fan, you know, the fans that that aren't Phillies or Astros fans should be rooting for the Phillies in this series, right? Because you look at what they've done over the last several years. They go out and they sign maybe the, the biggest face and name in baseball and Bryce Harper. Right, and who, who arguably could be the best player and carry you to a World Series? Then they they don't stop there. They they bring in JT Realmuto and then re-sign him. They sign Zach Wheeler. They give Zach Wheeler a five year big contract when he's a free agent with the Mets, and they they pay Kyle Schwarber this offseason. season. They pay Nick Castellanos this offseason. season. And it's like so if you're if you're a fan of a common team, like you know if I'm a if I'm a Cubs fan or a, a fan of a team who's you know Red Sox, like like to me it's like well you got to root for the Phillies because then maybe. You know, you have your eyes set on Carlos Cray and you can just, you know, pound the table and say, look, the Phillies could do it. Go go pay more guys money. And that's, you know, that's probably who the players, free agents, pending free agents should probably root for the Phillies because we always talk about how it's a copycat league. And if the Phillies end up winning this World Series with all those names, then don't you think, like, I think the offseason could get really fun. Um, but on the flip side of that as well, it's like, the Astros are a business person and an owner's dream, right? Every owner of every team yeah. should just want, like, you should point to the Astros and be like, because what do they do? They find value on the margins, which is what we talk about all the time of what makes organizations, like, what separates really great organizations like the Astros and Dodgers and Rays is finding value on the margin. And that you and I have said that probably 16 times on this podcast um, throughout the summer, where it's like, if you can find Christian Javier and you can replicate Garrett Cole's numbers without having to pay him, you're two steps ahead of the rest of the league now. You're two steps ahead of at least the Yankees who threw, who gave out the contract to Garrett Cole, right? Because now it's easier to continue to supplement. And how did, you know, obviously we've talked about this too. It's not as easy as that, right? You and I can't sit here yeah, and find not. value in players. You have to have the right player development in place. You have to have the right philosophies in place to be able to execute those things. But as a business person, as an owner, it's like, okay, Carlos Correa, walk. Here's Jeremy Pena, who's going to hit over 300 and, and hit second in our playoff in the, our playoff run to another World Series. Like, that's in, that's incredible. They are just two steps ahead, and the way they've done it is they've taken a lot of the, the like, past baseballisms out of it, right? The past, like, known baseball things that, that every baseball person that's an executive has done for years and years. And they went about it looking at it from a different way because they were an organization that was in trouble, right? Like they they were terrible. They were one of the worst organizations in the league for, I don't know, 12 years. And then they, they thought outside the box and they found a way to find value and find future value, right? Like you're talking about with Christian Javier and these guys and continue to, to build up through their farm system and they've got it figured out. And it's so hard to replicate, which is why – so many fan bases should be rooting for the Phillies because how many teams out there, Pittsburgh Pirates, are trying to do what the Astros are doing and they just can't? Yeah, that's what that was going to be my point kind of coming out of what you said is we've been taught, like as baseball fans, what have we been taught, right? The big bad Yankees, like shouldn't the Astros, <clears throat> sorry, shouldn't the Astros technically be the underdog, quote unquote, in this scenario with what we've been taught? 
because we've been taught that the big bad Yankees spend and it's a spend, you know, only the spenders can win. And the Astros have proven time and time again that there is no dollar figure. You could give them a blank check or no money and they still believe they would have a playoff contender year in and year out. And it's like almost as the opposite of me and like rooting for the Phillies is rooting for more of the Yankees and more of the, you know, Red Sox and Dodgers and these teams that can go supplement their teams through free agency. And the Phillies are the big market team. And it's so ironic that the Phillies right now, the team that spent, the team that has big names, the team that is the big market, is the lovable underdog in this scenario. And the Astros, the team that builds from within, the teams that finds value on the margins, the team that lets Garrett Cole work walk is now the the evil I mean I want to say genius but evil empire right that we view the Yankees in the same light and I know the cheating scandal has something to do with that the sign stealing scandal does but it's so ironic to think that time and time again like I get free agent and you know this again like we don't have to go into collective balance CBA agreements but how can you argue with what the Houston Astros are doing, what the Tampa Bay Rays have done and try to force teams to spend money. Like, and like you said, how can MLB fans not look at it and go, that's a little weird. Why aren't we doing that? Well, I think, so I think you bring up a lot of good stuff there, but to me, it's the, the oldest story in sports, right? It's a tale as old as time in sports is like, Nobody wants, unless it's your team, nobody roots for the dynasty, right? Nobody roots for the team that's there every year and year, like year in and year out, right? Like people have come to hate the Golden State Warriors. Why? Because they're so good and they win every year. People hate Nick Saban in Alabama, the Patriots, right? The Yankees. Yeah, a lot of it, that's what people used to say. Oh, they used to buy their championships, but really people were just mad because the Yankees were winning championships every year, right? And that's along with the sign stealing scandal. Sure, I think that plays a little bit into it, not as much as I think. Um, some people are making it out to be sometimes, but I think it's more so that they've been in the world series for the last six years. People are sick and tired of watching the Astros, right? People are sick and tired of watching them. That's what it, that's what this all comes down to because you're right back in the early two thousands when you and I were growing up and first following baseball, everybody hated the Yankees because they, they bought, they bought their teams. Well, sure. But it was more so everybody hated the Yankees because they won every year. And so that's why you look at the Phillies who haven't been there in 11 years and they won 87 games and now they have a chance to become the lovable underdogs because in part like how exciting they have been during this postseason run and they get to play this Astros team that everyone's sick and tired of. And also I think when you look at the landscape and, and you take the temperature of baseball as a whole, which we also talk about all the time here, it's like every, the war against analytics, right? The war against numbers, the war against changing baseball. And who's been at the forefront of that and worn that as a badge of honor is the Houston Astros. So that's why like you're going to get the common people just hating them. Like that's why they've become that evil empire because you know not only did they they steal signs and get caught doing banging on trash cans. Not only did you know have they they frontiered the analytics revolution and and mastered it, right? And found value on the margin for everyone else, but they've also been in the World Series for the last 6 years. So that's going to make the common fans hate them. Um, not necessarily saying I agree with it because I, I appreciate what the Astros have done. Obviously, I'm rooting against yeah. them in this World Series, but that's because I'm a Phillies fan. Like I, 
I tell you in 2019 and 2021, I was rooting for them. Um, but they're, they're just so good at what they do. So you have to appreciate it because they have, yeah. they've, they've taken advantage of what everything is. And I think it's tough for fans to, yes, fans do want, why can't we, we become that, the Astros? I think a lot of fan bases are saying that, but I also think fan bases turn and look at the pirates and they go, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the Cincinnati Reds who haven't won a playoff series since I think the big red machine, right? It's been forever. They don't want to be the Marlins. They want, you know, they see Bryce Harper and they want to, they want that, especially, you know, that's what's, that's what's in right now, right? They see Harper, they see Machado on this stage. They, they saw Aaron judges here and that's what teams want um, or fans want. I'm sorry. And I think it's tough, but, and from a last thing, I'm sorry, from a major league baseball standpoint, you said, why, why do they, why do we want teams to spend money? It's because major league baseball just wants as many competitive teams as possible, right? It's like the NFL model. Um, who said it? Nick Saban? I think it was Nick Saban. Somebody that I respect and listen to in sports was saying how if the NFL got their wish, everyone would be eight and eight on the last day of the season. Yep. It was Nick or, Saban. Right. And and they would be playing for a chance to to get into the playoffs. Every team would have a shot and a path to get into the playoffs. That would be the rating. And that's what the MLB essentially wants, right? The MLB is – and that's why they added the extra wildcard teams. They want as many opportunities to get important games that's going to get eyes on the product and make them money. Definitely, definitely. And I'm going to be honest with you. You convince me I'm rooting for the Astros this World Series. As a Phillies fan, you you absolutely convinced me to root for the Astros. The point you made about them being the the face of New Age baseball and as a avid New right. Age baseball guy and knowing why people hate the Houston Astros for what they've done, it validates my I, I guess <laughs> in a selfish reason, it validates what I believe is is genuine in baseball and in player development and what works. And you sold me on that image right there as a Phillies fan sitting here thinking, I, I mean, I, I was impartial, but it is, you know, on, on a serious note from that, it, it is nice to see. And it's not that it's going to gain traction because of it. No, it's not. It's not that people are no. going to equate one-to-one or, or whatever, you know, they're going to want to, you know, just avoid Whatever. the fact, the fact, yeah. and what they to kind of prove what they want to believe. But the Houston Astros are evidence and proof that the things we talk about on this podcast, the things we believe when we were on the field in the cage on the bullpen mound, talking with players of all ages, you know, high school, college, even professionally, those things do in fact work. Right. And there is some truth to that. And I'm not saying we know all that the Houston Astros know. No, I'm, I not, wish. I'm not arrogant enough. I wish. I wish. I, I probably would not have been in Division Three baseball a year ago. I would have been with the Houston Astros right. if I knew that much. Right. I would be living the dream and making phone calls at the trade deadline late trying to trying to uh, pull a fast one on Dave Dombrowski thinking he's selling off his team at the deadline if, if I knew as much as the Houston Astros right. do. But it is validation to the fact that there is proof in what they do, you know, and what they do should be celebrated. It should be. And I know the the sign stealing scandal and, you know, I, I say the Houston Astros, that regime, 
you know, they've, they've kind of cleared house a little bit, but that part of the Houston Astros would do anything to find competitive advantage the same way Bill Belichick would the same way Tom Brady would. And it's, you know, people want to accuse it of it's not right. That doesn't make it right. But these were guys that were brought up on the fact that my job right. as a coach, as an exec, as a thinker, whatever you want to call them, you know, they have people that just sit there and think about baseball, which we would be great in that role. Um, you have to come up with ideas to win. Like that is your job. Wins and losses is your job, especially as the head exec or the head coach. So what gets construed in that is the morals of right and wrong. Because when you're sitting there in that scenario, you're like, why don't we try this out? We got a live feed. Like you can put it right into the dugout. Like I heard of other. Yeah, teams but I mean, this, I this, still. This. Th- th- but like, I don't like that you're justifying it because I mean, I I'm not. Ju- I'm not trying on the, to justify on it. the sign stealing okay. scandal. It's just like I. It's still like there, and especially with Belichick, the Tom Brady deflated balls thing to me was Irrelevant. a non-story. Yeah, non-story yeah. to me. I don't buy any of that. But Belichick, I mean, filming a walkthrough. I mean, that's blatant as blatant gets. Like, sure, you're so, looking for any competitive advantage you can get, but filming a walkthrough is pretty blatant. So. So here's what – so this is just a side point. I, I just read Jay Glazer's book, um, really good book about – actually, he's gotten more into like mental health and yeah. and suicide prevention now. Um, but he was – he wrote about when he broke the, you know, whatever – I don't know what this scandal exactly was called. Spygate. Spygate. Yep, there it is. And when you really think about what now there were multiple videos, it wasn't just one. But when you really think about what they did, they had a guy who would film the defensive signs and then look at the the scoreboard and get the time down and score. So that when you're scouting, right, you just go and you're like that's what this is the play they so they would just match them up and Jay Glazer literally wrote he was like the first time I watched it I go this is genius like this is I thought, wait ge- hold like, on I just, thought I thought they were filming walkthroughs though this was the just the video he got so I don't know if more came out I don't know if th- there was more to it he's just saying yeah. the video that they okay. got and like when you really think about it it's no different than a guy picking signs from second well, base and that's Clemson. where my brain went it was like. Wow, when you're using any type of video, I think that's what videos people. It, yeah, if you can't do it off the top of the dome, it's but with that's Clemson, where it's I mean, tough. Clemson's done it. Dabo Sweeney's entire tenure is picking defensive signs and offensive signs, right? And now they yeah. have a more sophisticated method of doing it, and they're really good at it. And they pick it the way that you would want people to do it. There's no video involved. They do it at, on game day. There, they got guys in the booth who are figuring it out. Um. But yeah, I think the issue with uh, with Belichick to me was they also they were filming. I know the Rams Super Bowl, which was the first one, and the Eagles Super Bowl, and a couple of the playoff games too. Maybe Peyton Manning, maybe when they yeah. beat the Colts once. Well, they, they Peyton were filming Manning was convinced. Peyton Manning was convinced that the locker room was bugged. I don't know. So, they were just filming. No, and, and it, I know. It but just turned it, out they were filming walkers, yeah, which to me that's like yeah. scummy. But anyway, that back to scummy. the World that Series. To me, I agree with your reasoning for rooting for the Astros is right. 
Yeah. How do you, I mean, how do you root when you look at what they've done and what they've built? It's tough to for people like me and you who are so you know into baseball and we obviously we love it. It's like what they've done to be ahead of everyone else in the league is just fascinating. And it's hard not to respect it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the whole side stealing thing and why my brain kind of started to go into that avenue was I hate that it taints what they've done, the success they've had. And I, I, I hate that. It's, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, I, I applaud the Patriots and Tom Brady and everything they've accomplished because that run of excellence is whether however many scandals come out and whatever, like you still have to go out there. You still have to execute at a high rate. Right. Now, baseball is a lot different than football. If you really had scripts, walkthroughs, first 15 plays, stuff like that, like that's game changer. If you know what they're running, you just fill a gap and make a tackle and it's pretty right. much there's it's no different. at yeah, that it's... level. It's a lot different when in baseball, you know, something not small sign stealing, banging trash cans, things like that. It's not, it's not small in the grand scheme of things of a guy being able to have success, but it almost seems like people, it's almost like one of those, like for people that are against what the Astros are about and what the Astros do, whether that be old school guys or whether that be just fan bases of other teams go see, I knew something was wrong. I knew something wasn't right. right. And that's what bothers me. And that's why this World Series, you know, could be a positive in the fact of like proving and and they're going to rub it in your face. Like if you're if anybody listening to this right now thinks that if the Houston Astros win the World Series, which I think me and you would agree they are the favorites and what we would probably pick um, in this scenario. But if the Houston Astros win the World Series, you are going to hear certain people now the hype man the wwe man is not there anymore but he might come out and say something because i think those are still his boys sit there and say see it wasn't a fluke see and i really do believe that there's going to be it's going to piss a lot of people off when that when that when those words comes out come out of people's mouth see we didn't need sign stealing to do this and we did it yeah, and I think it's always tough to quantify what people try and do. Is they, they, you know, how can you say whether or not they would have won the World Series without the the, the sign stealing? And that's yeah. what bothers me. What bothers me is just like the right and wrong of, of it. Right? Is the just don't do it. Right? Like you, you stupid. Yeah, because um, I don't know if you would have won the. I don't know if that helped you win the World Series, and that kind of bothers me a little bit. Because just win it. Right? Yeah, just it go does. out there and win. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's going to be justification for them a little bit, even though I think those of us, like, I don't even, I don't care about that anymore. Like that, that happened in 2017. And I know John Boy was really, his feelings were super hurt in 2019. So he tried to start the whole buzzer thing. And that obviously wasn't true. Now I don't know what was under Altuve's jersey. I'll that never would be know. genius, actually. I didn't buy the tattoo thing. Um, but who knows why I didn't want a shirt ripped off? And that's you know, body dysmorphia is a real thing. So if you just didn't want to be shirtless in front of millions of people, I'm cool with that. Um, but to me, it's like I don't even care. Like I don't care. Like I'm so far removed from the the sign yeah. stealing scandal. That was a different team. That was a different time. That most of the culprits are out of there, right? Like AJ Hinch is gone, Beltran's gone, Jed Lunau's gone. Like 
Springer and Correa are gone. Like, there's so many different. Like, um, to me, it's just this this organization is just so good. Like, that's what it is. Like, and they're going to continue to do it. And, and I mean, we've pointed to signs of it, you know, on this podcast a ton of guys like Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and Christian Javier and Jeremy Pena, where when you're losing the likes of Garrett Cole and a bunch of arms that have pitched a ton of super big innings, Charlie Morton for you, and you just replace them with these guys that no one else valued and you're, they're taking you to a world series. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and also, you know, this will be the last point we, we kind of make on, on this side of the Astros. Cause we could, like I said, we could talk for two hours. They traded for Jordan Alvarez for a reliever to the Dodgers and the Dodgers Insane. are the pinnacle of player development and player evaluation and, and building of a roster and building from within and not saying they gave up on Jordan Alvarez, but at that point, Jordan was a 18 year old, you know, player that they signed for cheap, big dude, no position. And the Astros saw something in him, whether it be analytics, whether it be with the eye test and felt that he was worth a reliever for when they were trying to win. It wasn't like they were selling either. Both teams were trying to win. They made that deal happen. And obviously they now have one of the greatest hitters in, yeah, it was, in the last couple of years. That's, that's one of the best. I was going to ask if you thought that history. guy was good. Yeah. Well, he's, he's unbelievable. We, we could talk about him. The other thing too, on the Astros before we kind of switch over to the Phillies, I do want to say is for any people out there, I know we've mentioned it already on this episode. We both listen to Ian Happ, um, Dakota Meckis and Zach short on the compound podcast they talked about something that we've talked about before, so the backside ground balls had it first. But they were talking about how the Yankees, Aaron Judge hit a ball at 106 at 28, I think, and it got caught at the wall. The wind was blowing in. Whatever wasn't really a factor to me um, in my life. It didn't really matter. You still got swept. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and Bregman hit one at 92. And – it got out. And just casually, Ian Happ said, and, and obviously those guys play in the big leagues, well, Bregman is really good at getting to the pool side in the air with good spin. Yep. And it's something that, you know, for players out there, if, if we have any players that listen to this, for, you know, any coaches, anybody like that, the thing about Alex Bregman, and again, this is something that I'm adamant about and I'm bringing it up because I want to talk about it in this scenario, is Alex Bregman is a very average athlete. Yeah. He's special when it comes to hand-eye coordination. But physically, right. there's nothing that he is physically that is special. Right? He has a special work ethic and he has special hand-eye coordination. Every kid for can hit for power if they can do what Alex Bregman does. And it's not – Anything unique, it's get to the pull side in the air with spin, and you can hit balls out 330, 340 with good spin to the pull side at 92. And most college-age kids, most good high school-age kids can pull balls in play at 92+. plus. So I thought that was really interesting. Obviously, that's something that people are starting to you know, put out in public. I, I know behind the scenes, it's probably something that a lot of people already know, and it's something that Bregman talks about, and it's something that – 
you know, is very interesting to, to look at from that perspective. So there's my backspin to the poolside rant for the day. You're, you're giving a lot of little Johnnies out there hope. Yeah. If, well, if anybody had that on the bingo board for backside ground balls, you got, you got it. Shock. That's basically a, a free space right there is me mentioning backspin to the poolside. There's going to be a lot um, of little Johnnies out there who said that Coach Power said that I could be a big ligger, even though I'm yeah, well, 14 years well, old and I'm 260 and I eat you know six packs of Chromebooks a day, play, play bro, eight hours si- of COD. If, Coach if Power said I was good enough to play D1. Now, if you're 260, you are good enough to play D1, but you got to get your hand in the dirt and start playing defensive line or, or offensive guard. <laughs> you got we we need you in the Sun Belt blocking blocking pass rushers if you're going to be 260 there. You're not going to be playing much baseball. Well, Jay Jay Johnson and staff wants to thank you for all the uh the Delaware and Pennsylvania 14-year-olds who are now emailing them because they heard you say that you don't have to be a good athlete to go to LSU. Yeah, so they, that's, that's they, a good point as they well. They have you to thank for that because <laughs> their DMs are getting flooded as soon as this episode well, comes out. Well, Jay Johnson, if you want to come on the podcast, you know, I, I once heard a wise man Not say now. Any, publicity, any publicity is Not publicity. now. If you want to come here and yell at me, you can, he wants to yell at me. He might want to give me a piece of his word. Uh, but Spin zone. It, I'll, I'll take that. Spin zone, he might thank you because he can just respond to those DMs with their uh, camp, their camp, their, their camp brochure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred fifty bucks. Get the Baton Rouge experience, kids. Yeah, no. come play no, in front Alex, of me hey, and hey, my staff. Yeah, Alex Bregman is a Division One athlete. There's no denying that. But MLB, in terms of that, I think is where you know, like he's not six three, but he leads the MLB in home runs under. 95 plus no, or something understood. like that. I just well, put, and also my favorite yeah. part of the Ian Hap, the little Ian Hap blurb you're referring to is the Crawford boxes are funny. And like just him saying that, that quote right there is the, the Crawford boxes are funny made me laugh because like that's the only way to describe them. Because that does yeah, help a little it, bit too. It does. And in a serious note, like he said that he knows him, Bregman knows mm-hmm. himself. He knows his park. And he knows how to play to it. And he developed his skill set to play in that part. And that's the truth. I mean, he has said, I don't have enough juice to go big fly to center. So I need to hug the poles and I can't hook it foul when I get there. I can't hook it foul. So you 14-year-old Johnny boys out there, when you're sending me video asking what's wrong and you're top spinning balls to the full side, <laughs> I'm going to tell you to find another sport because remember, the whole key there is not getting to the pool side. It's getting to the pool side in the air with backspin. Now, speaking of a guy that Little can go Johnny big fly to center that, field. Though. They just heard you say you don't have to be a good I athlete. Know. Well, it's like it's like a it's like a recruiting visit. You always tell the kid, "Hey, we're bringing in thirty five kids," and then they show up and they're like, "What? How, you brought in thirty five kids?" Like, yeah, we told you, but you didn't. The only part you, you heard was that. us telling you that, yeah, us telling you that we think you can develop into an athlete for us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you forgot <laughs> that we mentioned the JV program. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> that so, went in when you're out the other. Yeah, exactly. Every time the parents even miss it. It's, it's amazing how three oh, people sure. are in one room and, and everybody misses the whole, the whole 10 minutes you spend on the fact that we're bringing in a big class. We're Don't get me started roster. on Jimmy senior. Jimmy. Senior. <laughs> but, 
Johnny Senior. Sorry, Johnny Senior's worse than little Johnny. Before we ruin a December episode talking about something that that when we have baseball and we should be talking about in December, um, on the other side of the ball, right? Obviously, on Monday for the podcast that nobody, nobody heard, heard except for unheard us, tapes. We talked a lot about the Phillies, um, and specific one thing we didn't talk about a lot that I wanted to kind of cover today in a little bit more detail is Bryce Harper. And it's so funny to think about the rise of Bryce Harper and who he is and the persona of Bryce Harper, right? I think me and you have a pretty good perspective of Bryce Harper. For the first seven years of his career, I probably watched the majority of his games, majority of his at-bats. It was must-see TV for me as a young 15, 16-year-old kid who was really finding out that I love baseball and loved watching it. He brought something unique. He brought a flair to the game when at that point in time, you were a young 17-year-old man who hated this guy, hated everything never, he was about. Never hate, have I hated, ever. Hated. Never hated. have I ever. <laughs> never have <laughs> I ever hated Bryce Harper. <laughs> Because he was with the Nationals, and obviously you as an avid Philly fan. Listen, and then I sat I on didn't pins hate and Bryce when, I hated Bob Carpenter and F.P. Santana. That's fair. And boy, were my instincts right on the fire hydrant. Um, um, F.P. fire hydrant and, uh, getting a little frisky in hotel rooms. And uh, so, obviously, I sat on pins and needles. He signs with uh, signed with the Philadelphia Phillies for that huge contract. The Nationals won their World Series. Obviously, I think they're better off today than they would be if they signed Bryce Harper because of the fact that when you're a mess of a franchise the way they are, you don't want a guy signed there for six more years, and Bryce Harper wouldn't want to be there. So it's it's kind of a, a you know good deal on both sides. But there was a point in time pre-MVP, even post-MVP, where – Voted on by the players, Bryce Harper was the most overrated player in baseball. By players. To no fault of his own. By fans. To no fault of his own. I mean, he's a brash personality. He's still a brash personality. I still don't don't think it had anything to do with the brash personality and had more to do with part of my disdain for him was because obviously when I wasn't a fan of Bryce Harper when he first came into the league. That's true. That was mostly, again, because it had nothing to do with Bryce Harper, the player or the person. It had everything to do with me being a Philadelphia sports fan. This guy's on the Nationals who are now starting to get good. And, you know, Harper would pop up to short. And when the ball came off his bat, the play-by-play announcers acting like he had just hit one to the monument. You know, and and because at 16 years old, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Stop me when any of this is about Bryce Harper. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he's 16 years old. Bob Carpenter acts like he hits a ball to the monument when he's popping up to shortstop. Every year <laughs> said in Sports Illustrated, Tom Verducci would make his World Series prediction, and it was Nationals MVP Harper. None of that was Bryce Harper. Like none of that was Bryce Harper's fault, right? He was called the face of baseball. He was called the next LeBron James. Look, and Bryce Harper di- didn't do any of this, right? Bryce Harper was just someone who was obviously a superstar talent who came into the league, and I think that's where the overrated tag came from. You know, he got hyped up, and what do you, you know, he he. He never once sure when he was 19 years old was he a little brash and a little bit cocky? Yeah, he was 19 years old, so was Juan Soto. He was a kid, so was I at 19. 
right? Like, I mean, when you're 19 yeah. years old, you gotta, when you're one of the best athletes in the world at 19, sure, you're gonna, you're gonna be a little bit cocky and there's gonna be a lot of 45 year olds who aren't gonna like your act. That's just life. Yeah. Well, I don't it's, care what it's you crazy do. how, it's crazy how far we've come that now, now we're defending young Bryce Harper who, uh, played like his hair was on fire and he definitely pissed a lot more people off than you're good at, like, he definitely played with a little bit more flair than you're given him credit for he did he play with a little bit like, more flair but if you look at but that was look him, at the and way, that was his persona and and his age like yes he still plays with flair but think about I how agree. much that how much that's been bottled up and as much as people want to be like oh that's because he got humbled by major league baseball it's like no because you're now talking about a 30 year old and a 19 year old yeah, like just from, from the human aspect of life like 19 year old me and soon to be 30 year old me are going to be different people I I right. agree and and you're you're 100% right and that my whole point of everything is we now come full circle today. And if you yeah. pulled major league baseball players, executives, who's the most under appreciated, undervalued? No, I don't want to say valued. That's wrong cuz he does make a lot of money. Underrated, I, I guess is the best way to say it. Under talked about player in baseball, it's Bryce yeah. I mean, Harper. he's up there until until this postseason for sure. It, for sure. it one hundred percent is Bryce Harper coming off the MVP. Nobody talked about him. I know he was hurt this year, but he was having a great year yeah. before. Everybody was talking about Judge. Everybody's talking about Otani, and those guys one hundred percent are great. The Alvarezes, everybody in this this baseball world that that we are lucky enough to watch every day. But who's the guy who's still there, right? People are going to, people said he was overrated and he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he retired Sunday of next week. A first yeah. ballot Hall of Famer if he retired Sunday of next week after, whether he wins a World Series or not, it doesn't matter. And I people were saying he was over overrated for a stretch, right. for a stretch of this man's career. He was always on pace to be a Hall of Famer. When he was in DC, he was gonna he was on pace to be a Hall of Famer. He was winning MVPs at 23 years old. He hit 330. He had one of the best hit, the most historic seasons since since Babe Ruth. And it's amazing to see where he's come. And all that to say, maturity wise too, right? This is a guy who wore his emotions on his sleeve. And in the playoffs, I think that hurt him the most was because every bat at bat was a spiked bat, a frustrated helmet toss, whatever it was, rightfully so. When I was 19 years old, when I'll, I'll right. put it out there on the podcast world. When I was 21 years old playing in Florida for Division Three baseball, I got so pissed that I chucked the ball over the guy who was warming me up and just heaved it into the embarrassing. stands because I was immature. It was embarrassing, but it was immature and I was a kid, right? And this guy at – Having what he had, having the experiences he had acted sometimes that way, to see where he's at now, to be the stoic, and I'll put my hand up, I'm also a stoic by nature now. I Just barely anything phases me. Anymore, Stop comparing yourself to Bryce Harper. <laughs> especially when it, com- when it comes you to baseball. You just keep comparing yourself to Bryce. What? me? Yeah, me in Dodger Town, Florida, throwing a ball in the stands. I look like an idiot. He looks like, oh, he's passionate. No, you're not that passionate about Division Three baseball. I'm sorry, bud. Um, uh. And uh, 
just being able to see him at this point in his career just sit there and absolutely not be phased by the struggles, not be phased by the adversity, not be phased by the moment, not let the moment get too big. I remember watching him swing at a Wade Davis cutter in on his hands, and Wade Davis did that to a lot of left-handed hitters and ending the national season. And it always seemed like he hit in the ninth inning with the national season on the line for those stretches, and he couldn't do it. And that's no fault to his own. Baseball's hard. It's a game of failure. But he did it. And I'm sure that was like a weight off of his shoulders. Not only when he hit the home run, but when he hit four billion out of a hundred or out of a thousand on average because he was that good in the series. Just to see what he's been doing, see what he's been capable of, see the leader that he's been for that Phillies team. It's special to see, and we don't appreciate Bryce Harper enough. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's in his 11th season in the bigs, right? He debuted at 19, and then he had those disappointing stretches in, in Washington, and then he walks as a free agent to the rival. They win the Immediately, they win the World Series, and, and it takes Bryce to a year four to get into the playoffs, and I think that's why people have kind of just quieted about him. Now, again, it's funny that we do that, but that's just all media perspective again, right? Because baseball is not an individual sport. It's the same reason you hear people – giving Mike Trout flack, which is like the new in thing to talk about um, Trout not being as good as people say is because he's, he's 0-3 in the playoffs. It's like Mike Trout, like he's one of 25. He's one of 26. What do you expect him to do, right? Mike Trout's one of the best players in baseball no matter what. Um, and with Harper, I think those 11, you know, it's now year 11 and to see him grow into it, like you said, and it's just – it's his moment to see that he's having his moment that he so much deserves, right, to finally win a playoff series and then he wins two and now he's won three and to be – you know, we get World Series Bryce for the first time. It's great for the game and it's awesome because he's just completely – like you said, he's matured and he's just slowed the moment down at this point. Every moment is so slow and that at bat against Suarez, I mean, is the perfect example of that. I mean, Suarez is just peppering 98 to 100 away he comes up and in and Harper's just in control the whole time and then stone cold one two change up take which is a great pitch and every you know from Austin Nola and, and everyone else on the Padres side saying they couldn't believe he took it to then the 99 mile an hour sinker he just lifts out to left he's that guy now to you know in game four the this is my effing house go ahead double in the fifth you know he's this is his moment and and to see where he's at it's awesome. And as a, as a Phillies fan, I mean, who's watched him now every night for four years, this is who he's been since he got here, really. I mean, them not making the playoffs the previous year, three years had nothing to do with, with Bryce Harper. I mean, he was doing everything for them. He was their constant every night, and he's been everything that, you know, you you could have hoped and more. And I think maturity and just being in the game that long, right? Because obviously he was uber talented or he wouldn't have had all the, the recognition before he even got in the league, right? We, no one would have known who he was before he got to the bigs. Like everyone did if he wasn't talented. Now to see it is just you add in all the experience that he's had leading up to this and it's, it's the perfect storm. And man, is it great for baseball. I think it's so great for baseball to have Bryce Harper, who really is one of the faces of the game, be back in the World Series or be in the World yeah. Series for the first time, right? That It's so good for the game of baseball to have that guy who's so – I mean, my wife knew who knows who Bryce Harper is, and my wife can't name probably two other Major League Baseball players, right? She knows JT Real Muto because she thinks he's attractive, and, and yep. she knows Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper's a huge name. 
So to have him in the World yes. Series, it's awesome. Yeah, it, it it really is. I mean, it it's good to see. And I I always thought, you know, whether you want to say the free agent contract took weight off his shoulder, I'll be honest with you. And again, this is no, I don't know Bryce Harper. Contrary to popular belief, I know everybody out there thinks we're we're just absolutely boys. I know he lives in Delaware nowadays, but I think it's his daughter. I I really do believe that that gave him the dose of perspective of – because this is a guy who grew up and baseball was everything. I mean me and you, baseball was everything, and we're not Bryce Harper or anything close to it, right? And that detachment of when you finally get to the point that you realize baseball is not everything, you have people in your lives, you have other hobbies, you have other interests, whatever it is. You know, sometimes it's a a girl, sometimes it's your – future girl for what I would say was at least my scenario, you know, the person I'm planning to spend the rest of my life with gave me that perspective of being like, dude, baseball doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You can walk away tomorrow and you still have a very good life. And I think Bryce Harper finally realizing that he wasn't identified by baseball. Every, every athlete who plays at a high level is going to experience this at some point. You're not identified by your baseball career. You have a daughter who loves you and does not know that you went 0 for 4 tonight. And you still got to come home and be a dad. And you still got to come home and be a husband. And I really think that, and again, we don't know Bryce Harper. I don't know anybody who knows Bryce Harper. But from my perspective, he turned a corner during that phase of his life. And he came back last year with the MVP year. He's pretty much gone been that productive ever since it's been nonstop toe tap Bryce has been in, in business. Maybe his daughter taught him, told him, Hey dad, stop hitting with a leg kick. It makes your head move a little too much. Why don't you just go toe tap and simplify a little bit and you'll hit 300 in the big leagues. Maybe, you know, she probably knows a lot about baseball, but I really do think that that was, uh, one of the major turning points for, for him and, uh, him in his career. Yeah, and now when when you when you miss hit a ball, it's not as important. You're not throwing no. your bat anymore. You're not slamming your helmet. It doesn't. At the end of the day, it doesn't. It's not. And I know it would probably upset some fans to hear, but it's not the end all be all anymore for Bryce Harper. Obviously, he's still extremely passionate, and that's one of the things that makes him unique is how much he enjoys baseball. And he's a baseball nut, just like us, where you know he loves yeah. the history of the game and. He wants to be a part of that history and he respects the history of the game. But still, like that 2-0 fastball that he, he missed in June doesn't upset him as much anymore as it used to because nope. he has more important things at home. And I mean, that's just a part of growing up. Again, that's that's what I was saying with his maturity. He's, he's mature now. As I sit here at 27 yeah. acting like I'm super mature and have everything figured out. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it it is good to see. But like I mentioned, from a from a baseball perspective, you know, he has made some changes with his swing, whether that was Kevin Long, whether it was him, his doing. um, It's something that he toyed with in really all the way back to 2015. Right. 2016 was the first time, as me and you like to call him, Toe Tap Harper made an appearance. Toe you know, he Bryce. used to do it with two toe tap Bryce. He used to do it with two strikes. It's something we picked up on way back. I mean, we've been way back. And uh, way back. 
you, you know, he would do it lefty on lefty when he came out in 2016 and had that wicked first, you know, month of the season in April. He was just absolutely dialed in. He would just club down and it worked. And then he abandoned it for some reason. And he really abandoned it for the rest of his time in DC. Yeah, and until he got to it Philly. was something that, yeah, and it was something that he never came back to. And and a lot of people that talk about Bryce Harper's swing, what do they think about violence, bat speed? And it's like, oh, yeah, Josh sure, Smoltz you can have loves all the, bringing it up. Yeah, the the violence in his swing and and everything like that. But if your eyes are, if you're well, first off, if your head's moving, I mean, and that's connected to your shoulders. And if you're trying to swing, which is connected to your arms, and if connect to your hands and if you're trying to get big it all runs up that chain and and your head flop moves and that causes your eyes to move and it makes hitting very hard you might not see the ball hit your bat but it makes very hitting very hard if you can't see right and that was something that from Bryce Harper's perspective is every ball he tried to hit was like that that highlight video we've all seen of him hitting a ball in Tropicana off the back wall it's like wow that's beautiful but does that play does that play? And this is a guy who, with all of his, you want to know how talented Bryce Harper is? He had the success he had with his head moving, and that's why he would go on these streaks. Well, he finally realized, like, I can take a seven iron into the left center gap and put one either off the wall or three rows deep, and guess what? It all still kept, counts the same in my stat book. I don't need to put it off that you know, facade in center field. I don't need to put it into, you know, the third deck in DC. I don't need to put it where nobody's ever hit it. And guess what? You've started to see the numbers follow suit. And it's just consistency. To be a left-handed hitter in the MLB, I know we've mentioned this before, and hit above 300 before the shift is banned, man, you have to be as consistent as consistent can be to do that, to consistently put balls in play where people are not hard specifically. It shows what Bryce Harper's done, the adjustments he's made, and he just understands himself. He understands his swing. He understands what he needs to do. He understands how he's getting pitched. He understands how to execute his approach. And it's just all maturity, and he deserves all the credit in the world. He doesn't get enough of it. He does not get enough of it. He didn't get enough of it in D.C. He didn't get enough of it after, especially when the Nationals won the World Series. Then it was just like a crap on Bryce Harper fest. And again, like I said, I think both sides would agree. They're pretty happy and content with where they want. You know, he might have slipped up in his first press conference and said he's going to bring a title back to D.C. (laughs) It happens to the best of us. But the the maturity and the and the developments he's made both as an individual from the outside looking in and as a baseball player and as a leader as well is why the Phillies are where they are today. I mean, he is Philadelphia Phillies baseball, and there is nobody else, nobody else who represents that franchise better than Bryce Harper does on and off the field. Well said. And again, I think that's what makes him so unique. Like all those things you just talked about is what makes him so unique as a superstar and, and why having him be your best player is so much fun for Philly fans because he gets he, – he, one, he's the best panderer I have ever seen in my life. 
I mean, he clearly just panders to fans, but that's awesome. That's what you want out of your superstar, right? Like almost become a character, you know, when, when you're in front of the media and when you're in that uniform, become the character, right? Like almost like show business. And he does it so well. And, and then just from the baseball aspect of it, because of the IQ and his understanding of his swing and who he is and what he's capable of and then what people are trying to do to him, that's what's allowed him in my mind to unlock it, right? Because to me, it just looks like such a unique approach sometimes when he's so aggressive, oh, oh. And he does still take those swings, like he said, trying to hit the back wall and the drop. But then it's like as soon as he does it, it's like, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. I understand how they're pitching me. It's that bad. I got my one, you know, I got my G hack off. Now I'm just going to go. And it's, it's fun. I mean, it's impressive. It's really fun to watch. It is. It is. And to bring up the character part, that is something that, I mean, it's not a negative to a lot of people. It would be deemed a negative, but it is something that he has always understood. He understood it in DC. He says all the right things. And to be honest with you, that's just being smart, in my opinion. I mean, I can sit there in front of any crowd and say the right things. It's it's just the way it is. I can definitely say from the perspective of being you know, a Nationals fan and, and all this stuff like that. Cause you don't understand the business side of things. And when you're following, like when I was, you're following the Nationals on a day to day basis, you're living and dying by his free agency. You know, it does come off as a little fake, you know, on the opposite side, but it's really just how you operate in society today and not piss anybody off, right? Like you, you just have to realize you're always going to be a villain to somebody, especially when you're Bryce Harper. You're always going to be, a, somebody's not going to like you. But you, the people that matter most are the people that are in the crowd supporting you. And I think that's what Bryce Harper understands the most is I need Philly fans to back me. I don't care about DC fans anymore. I don't care for the, any of them that exist. I don't care about New York Met fans. I don't care about Braves fans. I don't care about Dodger fans. I care about Philadelphia Philly fans. And I think when he was in D.C., it was the opposite. I don't care about Philly fans. I care about D.C. fans. And I just think that everything he does is calculated and smart, that if you're just looking at it at the surface level, you're just like, dude, he said all the same things in D.C. How genuine is he? I really just think he's smart man. He's going to make a, a lot of money in business following his career because he's smart and he, he, he gets people. But I also think because that's who he's always been, I honestly think what's unique about him too is that it is genuine. When he was saying those things in D.C., he was passionate and he really believed that because that was the team that drafted him and that's who he was coming up with and he helped turn them good. And now that he's in Philly, yeah. like when he wanted to come to Philly because all the reasons he said it, I truly think he believes that. And it's not yeah. fake. You know, it's not being seen through because in Philadelphia, like, right, the, most of the athletes that struggle are the ones who just won't be themselves and won't, you know, <clears throat> kind of just trust who they are and, and be passionate about what they're doing. Those are the athletes that tend to struggle in Philadelphia because Philadelphia fans, again, we talked about this on Monday on the lost tapes. You know, that's – in Philly, they might not be the best or the worst or whatever, but they, I think it means the most to Philadelphia sports fans. Yeah. And that's so that's what they're looking for. And I think he's genuine. And I think it, he is who he is all the time. And who he is is someone who respects whatever city he's in, he respects the history of that city. He respects the, the history of baseball and he loves baseball and he's a passionate human being. So that it's who he is, which makes him when he says yeah. all the right things and when he does the pandering and he is that character, like 
to me, it's genuine, or at least it seems that way. And it seemed that way in DC too. It did. And like that. So to me, it's like, none of it is fake. Like that's, he's just being who he is and he's not afraid to show it. And, yeah. and I think that's why he's so loved by whatever city he's in. Mm-hmm. I think the most admirable thing about him too, to build off that is that he's on, he's unapologetically Bryce Harper. Right. And I think there were times when he was young that he wanted to be sure, whatever, you know, he wanted to be sports illustrated, Bryce Harper. He wanted to be famous Bryce Harper. He wanted to be every which way. I think at this point in time, you have to respect somebody who's unapologetically them comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in who they are and truly believes, like you said, I, I do think it is a genuine, you know, passion for, where I am today is where my mind is going to be, and I'm going to give it my all, and that's pretty much it. So before we get out of here, give me your prediction on the series. Obviously, some X factors on both sides um, real quick, and, and we'll get out of here. I know we talked a lot today about more of the teams than actually previewing the baseball. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> man, this series is so fascinating to me. What I talked about in the beginning of the show, just how it's just like – this magic run the Phillies are on versus this just unstoppable force that the Astros seem to be. Um, and I think in a series like this, it's going to, there's going to be some backbreaking moments and who can handle the adversity and get over it. And neither team has really faced it so far in the playoffs, no. right? The Phillies have lost two games. The Astros have lost none. So it's going to be fascinating, but I just think the Astros are far too deep, one through 26. Don't do it. Sell your soul. Sell your soul. What? Phillies in seven. I want the Phillies to win. I want the Phillies to win five do or it. six or seven. Do it. I don't think they're going to. And um, Sell your soul. Do it. I won't do it. I think I'm going to, I'm going to say Astros <laughs> in, in, in seven. Um, I think this series goes long okay. no matter what because I think it's, I truly think that Philadelphia is a home field advantage. I truly think that they're really, really hard to, to, to beat there. <clears throat> and I also think some strange things happen in Minute Maid. So it's going to be fun. I think the home teams have such an advantage in this series. Uh, interesting to note that Justin Verlander's Owen uh, five all-time in the World Series with a 5-8 ERA. Um that could be a swing if if he comes out and pitches like the guy we expect. That could swing the series right there. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Astros in seven. I think they're just a better team. They're deeper. And that's okay because this run for by the Phillies, because of how uninspected it was, even if they come up short of the ultimate goal, what a success. This has been great to see Citizens Bank Park packed out um, and excited the way it is. I mean, it brings back a lot of fun memories for a lot of people who are Phillies fans that are my age, like myself. I mean, the last time it looked like that, I was 13 years old. And also, it's it's so cool to see um, see it, and this has been awesome. So, But Astros in seven. I got to use my brain here. <laughs> okay, fair. You're more honorable man than, I'm, than I am. Um, so I would have. I would have sold my soul and, and all my uh, my baseball analysis for a, for a Phillies in seven there. Um, you know, when I look at this series, I think if you went one through 26, especially when you get through that 15 to 26, um, which is where seven, seven game series are really made, it kind of starts to lean all Astros. 
you know, I mean, even to the point of like Chaz McCormick or Matt Beerling, it's, you know, the deeper you get on this Astros, Astros roster, the more talent the, the Astros seem to have. With that being said, I think anybody with a unbiased view would be able to, to say that the Astros are the more talented team. You know, if I'm ever doing predictions, if I'm ever betting on anything, I go off of talent. I don't go off of flukiness. I don't go off of it factors. I don't go off those things because, again, those things are uncontrollable. Um, and in these moments, I think the Astros are going to control the moment. I think they want this World Series bad. I know the the Phillies are obviously the hot team, but I think what gets lost in this is how much that sign-stealing scandal hangs over this Astros team, how motivated they are to win for Dusty Baker, how motivated they are to win for the Altuves, the Bregmans, the guys, the Verlanders, you know, Verlanders getting to the back end of his career. And I just think at some point along the way, the Phillies magic does in fact run out. I think they do win a home game, one, maybe two. But I think the moment in Minute Maid, you know, I think the only thing that helps in that scenario is Nola and Wheeler don't be pitching those games, but they have tough tests. I'm going Astros in five. I, I just think in terms of talent, there's a huge talent discrepancy. And like I said, with depth, once you get beyond the Harpers, the Schwarbers, the Nolas, the Wheelers, the Real Mutos, which the Astros can go five for five with you right there. Um it starts to get very thin very fast. The NL obviously was a lot more competitive. The Phillies have battled, you know, some tough tough teams, some more evenly matched teams. So who knows if the if the uh, kind of skate to the post through the postseason wears off? But I think the Astros are going to be a much more motivated team than people want to give them credit for. Um, they're not just some some team that's been here, done that. I think they want this bad. I think Dusty Baker wants to hang it up. I think all those things considered, they want to get this done right here, right now. I think they come out, they play really good baseball, they execute at a high level, and they take over this series in five games. But Philadelphia will be rocking for game three, and I think that will cause the Astros maybe some problems. But there's my uh, prediction for you. All right, that'll be all on this episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast to all your friends. We think we do a pretty good job with this podcast, so... um, you know, just make sure you're sharing with your friends. Uh, we are on YouTube now. Uh, if you want, subscribe to the Backside Ground Balls podcast channel. We're going to get to a point at some point where we start doing live episodes. We'd love to interact with you guys who actually follow and watch. We're probably going to start doing that Monday, roughly, um, is probably an early prediction. Don't know a time yet, but you guys are interested subscribe to the channel start shooting us text messages we'll start to line up what time works best for you guys we'll start to do mailbags especially in the off season we want to obviously keep talking baseball dan froze on the other end i know my audio might not be perfect for some reason my microphone did not connect we're having a nightmare of a week here on the recording side of things so that'll be all for this podcast we're an hour 20 deep and we will be back 
at some point through the midway point of the series and getting to the point where we're, we'll see a little bit of baseball and see where it goes. So um, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.